Howdy do in the water podcast. It's your humble host Russell back again for another segment. I uh, you know, the last time I talked to you guys, I said I'd make it important and here we are. I probably a month later. <clears throat> craziness, craziness, craziness. Um I don't even know where to start really, but uh I'm not driving this time, so it's going to be a little shaky, baby. Uh, it's always weird when I'm not driving. I feel restless. I feel like I got... I don't know. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so my birthday happened. Um, <coughs> came and went. 27. Greatness, right? 27 Club might happen this year. Anyway, uh, my cat... I had to take my cat to the vet. It seemed as though he was going to, that he had diabetes. <clears throat> he was puking every day. He, his tail like went limp. He wasn't wagging his tail at all. Uh, it was kind of alarming. It was not fun. And so I went to the vet and they basically told me he's fine, but he, you know, he has an increase in glucose level, probably a little bit higher than it should be, but glucose levels can spike just from stress. So that happened. <clears throat> $700 later, they basically told me it's fine. But I'm being more aware. Uh, <clears throat> i got to get him on a higher protein, higher uh, fat diet. <clears throat> After my birthday, my plates went, went bad, right, in my cobalt. Crazy fucking craziness. So I've been driving this whole time, and it never was changed when I had the, because I had a cruise before I got the Cobalt, and then after the Cobalt I got the Honda, the Honda is kind of tanked out right now, so I had to go pick up the Cobalt, as you guys already know, <clears throat> but this whole time, like the, the Chevy Cruise's transmission went bad, that's why I even had the Cobalt in the first place, and when I went to change the title and get it, get the plates and stuff for it, they never changed it in the system, to match the cobalt so <clears throat> this whole time I've been driving around on the cobalt and it's been basically the cruise on the plates so it was fictitious plates fake plates you know and I got pulled over the day after my birthday and the cop was like listen he pulled me out of the car put me in his car and he's like this is this is not this is not ideal you know, this is what I'm seeing. And I'm like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Because I've been pulled over several times. <clears throat> this is the first I'm hearing about it. And he's like, well, sometimes people just don't pay attention to the car that's in front of them. <clears throat> so then I went like a week. I probably should have made a podcast then. But, you know, when I wasn't able to drive, I wasn't feeling that great. I don't like to be trapped. I don't like to be cooped up. and Especially after my trip. And people, I say that. People are like, oh, whatever. You know, whatever, because I don't understand what that's like. It was, it was radical freedom. I was, I was free as I've ever been in my entire life. <clears throat> I was able to do. I didn't have anywhere to be. I didn't have anywhere to go. <clears throat> I had no one to talk to. I didn't have to talk to anyone. I could have talked to anyone. Like ultimate freedom. <clears throat> so a lot of people don't understand that. And then to go back. To this lifestyle after that has not been the easiest thing. 
you know, not to mention anything with my lady friends or whatever. It's not been the easiest. And then, you know, of course, I'm living with somebody. I'm not living on my own because I abandoned all that to go on my trip. <clears throat> Hasn't been easy. It's been very difficult. Like I said, I'm pretty sure in the update, <clears throat> I'm a subcontractor now. I repair derelict houses. And that, and my hands can be pretty full with that sometimes. Especially me being my own boss, and nobody's really harping down my neck to do anything. Or to get it done, you know, which is like the hard, like the easiest thing about like a, a W-2 job, like an employee job, is that <clears throat> you have to be there every day. You have to be there, so it kind of makes it easier for you to kind of do the work. I guess you could say, but, you know, when I get to choose my hours and I get to show up when I want to show up and I get to do the work that I want to do, no one's having a preset guide of, like, what work I have to do, when, and in what order. <clears throat> it makes it its own level of difficulty. So, there's that. And I've been dealing with that on top of not being able to drive for a week. And... All of the other emotional shit that I've been going through, like with my lady friends, and very difficult decisions to make, and missing people, and grieving people, and <clears throat> dealing with the high tensions of people that were in my life previously, and they don't understand that things have changed. Things have changed in me. And that's <clears throat> one of the things I want to kind of get into is, is tragedy. You know, I was, it was Christmas. It was actually Christmas. And I, I was driving to meet up with my mom and my brother at my brother's house. And I just realized, like, that it's just so tragic. Like, life, the way that life goes sometimes is just so tragic. In that, everything is is in a constant state of deteriorating and disintegrating and dysregulating and <clears throat> you know you often find yourself in 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 situations where you're thinking about what used to be the way things used to be how life was <clears throat> what you had what you have now what's gone you often think about these things and if you're like me which i assume a lot of us a lot of us share these experiences. <clears throat> it it's difficult. It's difficult to think about what we had and what's gone and what's you know, like even family. <clears throat> My family has seemed to have become so dysregulated, right, that it is disintegrating. And by disintegrating I mean that it is not integral, it is not, <clears throat> it's not in alignment, right? People aren't saying what they think, they're not being honest with their thoughts and their emotions to each other, and it harbors resentment and, and <clears throat> anger and frustration, <clears throat> which causes people to stay away from each other or avoid each other. Hold on, I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten all day. <clears throat> um, over time, it becomes kind of normal. 
the people we once loved and cherished and all the family functions and holidays and times we got to spend with each other seems more frequent, few and far between. And you think about that, especially in a time where you're thinking about, you know, a girl, you know, like, oh, we had something great, we had something like I've never felt before, <clears throat> and now it's gone, at least for now, the way that it seems to be, which I'm not going to really get into that right now, or any any progression on that, I'm going to kind of try to stay on topic here, but I mean, at the same time, you know, we're going to go where we, where we go, I'm not going to really dictate where this conversation heads, but it... <clears throat> It's easy to find yourself thinking about where your family used to be and where it is now. When you're in a situation where you're already thinking about somebody and where you used to be with just that person, right? like my, my previous lady friend, she, like we've known each other for a couple of years, and I felt like I was getting to know her on a very deep level, and... All of a sudden, I don't have that anymore, and that's a shame, and it's saddening, and it's heartbreaking, and it's tragic, it's absolutely tragic. And I'm not saying that it's gone, I think, in my opinion, it's a matter of proximity. We're not around each other, we're not exposed to each other in the way that we would be able to share our feelings and thoughts and experiences together and continue to grow. I think it's a matter of proximity. I think that if if time allows in the future and permits us to have more time together, that in some sense we will pick up pick up where we left off. And that would be fantastic. But when you're in these moments where you're thinking about somebody like that who in some regards is a is an ephemeral person somebody who's peripheral because a lot of the times people view family as a focal point right I look at my family and then I look at the world you know so when you are looking at a peripheral person in your life who comes in and goes out in the season and then you're pontificating and reminiscing about times you had with them it's very easy to transition from that thought to my family or our family or whatever and how we used to be a bustling hive of people that would get together and have these large family gatherings we all did our own thing, and some people played board games, and some people played badminton in the backyard, and we barbecued, and we all got together, and we ate, and we spent time together. And I can't tell you the last time that that happened. I'm going to try and resist taking another bite for this podcast, but I had to. 
I can't tell you the last time that that happened. I really can't. I know it was like at least five years ago. Uh, at least. But it's tragic. It's tragic because when, when there is not a concerted effort for people to get together and, and share time together, because that's all we really do. We just share who we are and the time we have. That's all we really share with each other. We just show each other who we are. We just are present as who we are, as what we are. That's what we have to offer. That's what we have to offer to each other. Sometimes we're afraid of what we have to offer because in some sense we weren't good enough in the past. Whether you know your parent wasn't there for you and then you wonder why why wasn't I good enough? Why didn't they want me? And that can trickle into relationships and fear of vulnerability and it can cause you to recoil and not be vulnerable with that person. Not give that person what you are, which is what you are right now, right here, and the time that you share with them. Not, not necessarily that you don't give it to them, but you're not present with them. You're always somewhere else. You're always in the past or the future or off in your mind contemplating something else, somewhere else, some other place, some other time. And you're never really sharing that moment with that person because that's all we're doing is sharing this moment together on this strange and mysterious journey in the water. And it's very easy. It's very easy to, to lose that grip, that connection that you have to what's considered to be the focal point of life, which is your family. That's a tragedy. It's a tragedy that society and culture and life, the life that we've built so much of, of ourselves around and into and intertwined it with our inner workings and inner machinations of our identity. <clears throat> and we, we seem to lose that. We, we seem to lose the consistency over time of what is important, right? What is truly important. Out of fear, out of fear of vulnerability, fear of rejection, fear of pain, fear of loss. And that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy that we've become so disintegrated in this society, in this, because it's always asking for more. You're never good enough in the eyes of society. You're never enough. Just your presence is not worthwhile enough for me to acknowledge you in this moment. You should always, you should have abs, and you should be on the new fad diet, and you should say everything the right way with the right tact. And you are not good enough, as you are. And that's what it is, seems that society, and I hate to say it like that, because that just seems too broad of a statement to you know, blame on society, this abstract concept. 
Because I'll actually break into it a little bit. Society, when I guess what I mean when I'm talking in regards to, to this topic, society is like an inadvertent mirror of ourselves. Right? We, we project onto each other in some kind of tacitly sardonic <clears throat> projection of what was imposed on us. You know, I wasn't good enough, so you need to, you know, you need to check all of these requirements if you want me to accept you. Because <clears throat> I had to do that, and I failed. I fell flat. I wasn't accepted for who I was. I had to stunt my growth and <clears throat> alter who I was in the moment and, and feel disintegrated. I had to disintegrate myself to appeal to the broader, the broader peoples, the broader concept. And so, in some sense, when I, I'm talking about society, I feel like it is a vague, abstract projection from individuals that they have abstracted out of the panoply of examples that other individuals have imposed on them, or even media, which is just a bunch of individuals. It really is us, you know, that's the funny thing. Is it's, it's really us imposing this on ourselves in some kind of <clears throat> cruel, masochistic, kind of uh, gesture, this abstract, cruel, masochistic gesture. We impose it on ourselves and then <clears throat> turn around and play a trick on ourselves and say, I am this way because of society, but I am society, and I impose this on others, but I detest those who impose it on me or who did impose it on me, and that's why I'm imposing it on others. <clears throat> but it's always demanding more. Society, now that I've clarified that, society is always demanding more. More of your time, more of your energy, more of your money, more of you. You could be more. You could be better. I should, you know, here's one of the examples. You may have said this. People in your life, you may have heard people in your life say this. I should be farther than I am right now. By what metrics? By what metrics do you say that? Why have you come to that conclusion that you should be farther than you are? You are where you are. And that is okay. And that is right. That is where we are. That is enough. But people, people don't like that. That you're enough. I'm not saying that there's not room for improvement and that you could improve, and you could be better, and you could feel better, and you could dramatically change your behavior to further better and provide for yourself and other people. I'm not saying that, because that is in some sense a necessity. It's also our responsibility to do that. But just you as you are right now in this moment, you are good enough. We are all enough. And we are a miracle. We are a, 
wondrous, beautiful mystery. The, the genesis and origins of the deeper aspect of what we are is absolutely incredible. It's incredible. You are enough. You are a fantastic, reverent sight to behold. Just as you are right now. And I'm not going to get too beaten a dead horse here by repeating that. But it's a tragedy that we... It seems almost innate. And I don't know if it's cultural or if it is, it is multicultural or, or, or universal. But it seems as though people need to be a victim. And I think it is a fear of responsibility, you know, personal responsibility. Um, <clears throat> because that's number one. You can't grow without taking responsibility for your role in things. And I think I've talked about that before on this podcast. And if not, you know, so be it. You are. Every situation, every role, it comes down to your your responsibility, your role that you play in every interaction, in every relationship, family, business, spousal. You play a role in all those things. And for you or for anyone to say, this isn't fair because this happened to me and this person lied to me and cheated on me and hurt me. And as valid and true as that is, you must, for yourself, not even for anyone else, for yourself, you must accept your position, your role in that, how what you did and what you said and how you reacted and how you responded interacted with those things that happened to you and played things out the way they did. You know, I was telling my brother before we went to Georgia <clears throat> shortly on this podcast ago that one of the most profound, because he suffers from anxiety and depression. And he was talking to me about how he realizes and recognizes that his thought process is why he overthinks and why, what causes his anxiety. The, what causes his anxiety is the way he thinks about the world. And I said, absolutely. And that medication is not going to change that. It's not going to change how you think. And it will help. It'll help. It may help regulate you. It may help make you feel better temporarily. But it will not pose a permanent solution. Your thinking changes that. Because your thinking ultimately modifies your behavior and your internalization of information and redirection of that action outwards into the world. And so I told him in that, I said, you know, absolutely, your thinking is not going to change because of medication. And I told him sometimes epiphanous thoughts 
just happen to you. Life-changing thoughts, life-changing realizations just happen. They just spontaneously pop into your head. And you're not even aware when it happens, what's happening. And I went on to tell him that one of the most profound, the most profound thought I ever had in my entire life was very simple, three words, but I stayed. That thought changed my life. It changed my fundamental attitude towards life. My approach, I like to call it my perceptual approach, the way that I approach everything with my perception. That altered my perceptual approach and fundamental attitude towards life. Because what it did was it allowed me, not even allowed me, it forced me to take personal responsibility for my role in every situation. Because I was talking, like the thought happened about my ex-girlfriend, big ex Amber, right? And she hurt me. She she lied me, she cheated on me a lot, she hit me sometimes. And it was very, very people nowadays would say traumatic. It was traumatic. You're traumatized from that. But I repudiate that. And I say, you know, because everything that she did to me was wrong in its own right. You know. <clears throat> but I stayed. And so if you add the profound thought to all of the statements, like she lied to me, but I stayed. She cheated on me, but I stayed. She broke my heart, but I stayed. She betrayed me, but I stayed. It changes the story. Like if I'm telling these people, like, hey, she hurt me, she broke my heart, she cheated on me, she betrayed me, she... That puts all the blame on her. And if you add, but I stayed to all that stuff, the story changes, and it's not her fault anymore, it's my fault. And so, but I stayed, changed my fundamental perceptual approach and attitude towards life because it forced me to take a look at my role in the relationship with her. That I allowed it, that I stayed, that I allowed her to... I allowed my, myself using her to alter my own character and to become a monster. And, and I actually have quotes, I've read them on this podcast before. One of the quotes that I've written down in the past is, if, if you let monsters change your true nature, there's no difference between you and them. Because you are a monster. A monster, a monster is, is chosen. It's, it's chosen, it's not... I personally, you know, people are, are always asking me, like, how do you, how are serial killers made? It's a choice. It's a choice. And I know that <clears throat> some choices we make become compulsive, and they happen, and they're very, very difficult to fight. I struggle with the human condition as well as anyone else. But I also understand the power of choice. I changed my lifestyle. I quit taking drugs. I quit drinking. I quit smoking weed. I quit smoking cigarettes. I changed my lifestyle. I changed the choices that I was making. <clears throat> That's a choice. 
and we choose, even if we don't realize we choose, we choose the way that we approach situations in our mind, our perceptual approach. We choose it. We, and this is why I like to talk about the games that we play. Some people are playing thematic games with their life. Some people are playing the logic game, which maybe I like to think that I'm trying to play. I'm trying to win all games, right? That's one of the games. One of the games is trying to win all the games. Um, but there is the logic game, trying to make everything logical, trying to reason everything out. There's the victim game. Everything is everyone else's fault, and I'm the victim. There is the I'm right game, where it's, I'm always trying to prove everybody wrong. There's many games. There's very many games, but we choose what game we're playing. And that framework that we kind of frame around our perceptual approach dictates our choices and our reactions. And so, in that, profound thought just happens to you. But it's still a tragedy. I mean, you know, regardless of where I came from. And I told a lot of this podcast, my my history, right, growing up, the way that I've lived, the places I've lived, the, you know, my trip, the things that I've dealt with, right, I've talked about that, I've expressed a lot of that on this podcast. I would not suggest to anyone that I'm a victim or that I'm traumatized. I'm not traumatized. There are, I like to say there are scars. There are scars that are left behind. And you do learn lessons, but it is a lesson. Life is a lesson. And what's funny about that is my one good friend that I went out to visit in Florida, she actually, uh, she would always try and figure out a lesson. Oh, well, maybe that's what I'm supposed to learn. Oh, well, maybe that's what he's supposed to learn right now. That's what he, oh, there's the lesson in that. And I told her one day, I said, maybe the lesson is trying not to figure out what the lesson is. Just be it. Just be it. Just be in life. Respond accordingly. I don't claim to have all the answers. I'm just more or less posing my thoughts and my, my perspective of to whoever wants to listen, really. But it is a tragedy, you know, it's, it's, it, it, in some sense, and this is what I love, the idea of like the comedy, the tragedy, is, it is a comedy and a tragedy. It's both. It's, they're individual at the same time they're, they're simultaneous, they're both happening, but at the same time, they are individually happening. If you look at something, it can be fucking hilarious. Hilarious tragedy is kind of funny. You know. Comedy is kind of tragic. And, and it's very true. Very true. It's funny in some sense how the disintegration and dysregulation of my family has tragically but comedically led me here talking to you the way that I am. 
Whereas people will be like, my family's not what it used to be, and I'm a victim of that. Life is tragic. It really is. You never know. We're in the water. You know, you never know what's gonna happen. You you often think, this is it. I found it. I found the one thing that I've been looking for all along. And before you know it, life rips that rug out from under you and you thought you were so comfortable and cozy and warm. And I found it. This is it. This is what I've been this is where I've been headed. And life's like, ah ah ah. You thought, but I, that's another thing that is absolutely remarkable, is the, the fact that life is 25 steps ahead of us at every second. It seems that way. So what we often may feel as a tragedy right now may be the best thing for us, and we don't see it yet. And it might be funny later. And that's where it is a tragedy and a comedy. I'm not trying to downplay either. But it is tragic. It's tragic that I have, as I've said, one of my values is experience. And in my experience, I have added so much perspective onto just normal mundane situations. And with this added perspective, it seems it seems as though we're missing the point. And this is just my opinion, by the way. This is just my perspective. We're missing the point. The point is to love despite the tragedy, despite the pain and the lessons and the hardship and the struggle to love anyway. And by love, I don't just mean, you know, kiss your spouse when she wakes up or when he wakes up or buy them roses, send them roses to their work on Valentine's Day. I'm not just talking about that. That's great, but love, love starts with you. It starts with you. It doesn't start with anyone else. I'm not saying that you have to love yourself like you were your own spouse, but <clears throat> it's a choice. It's a choice. And uh, maybe perhaps one of the games that we play is the hero game, where we always want to break our own back. We want to carry so much weight for other people so they don't have to feel that pain, that they don't shatter into millions of pieces as we will not because we can carry that load at least so far as we're claiming on the surface to other people although we are cracking on the inside very very desperately gasping for a breath of air from this drowning that we feel sometimes, trying to keep everyone afloat but us, make sure that everyone is off the sinking ship before we find a lifeboat for ourselves. And that's great. It's absolutely great because sometimes 
being a hero, having a hero complex, or a hero frame. Hero game. It inadvertently makes you love. Love, right? Because love is not... Love is one of those weird things. Blood God. You can't control it. You cannot understand it. You, it happens to you. It is outside of your control. It is outside of your understanding. It's outside of your comprehension. It is very compelling. It modifies your behavior. It, it overrides rationality. Love is a very powerful force. And it is, in my opinion, not self-interested. It's not, I love you because you rub my back when I come home from work. It is not, I love you because you've always been there to loan me money when I really needed help and didn't want to ask anyone. When I didn't want to show it, like I couldn't hold this world up on my own. And now all those things can be indicators that somebody loves you or somebody cares about you, but to me, love is wanting you to be okay enough so that you can share this moment with me presently right now as i've talked in previous podcasts i learned in the last year at least that i never cared about anybody uh beyond what they did for me even though I didn't think that. I didn't think that at the time. But once I really cared about somebody and didn't didn't get anything out of it, didn't it wasn't about that. It was about, as I just mentioned to you, caring about them so that they would feel okay enough and accepted and seen in this profound darkness that they can be okay enough to just be present with me to share the moment with me and that that's love that is care that is caring about somebody not getting something out of it, not doing it for you, not doing it for something because somebody gives you something, but just doing it for them. And that's it. Hmm. In some sense, it seems like we were also lost. But I don't know if we are. We're in this profound darkness, but I know, I know, I suspect that we all yearn to be seen. We yearn to be seen. We yearn to be accepted and loved. So to be shared with, to share ourselves with, to be accepted in that. And it's a tragedy that most of us do not feel that. 
we don't feel seen. We don't feel heard. But here's the beauty of it. Is that in that, we don't feel that way. In the innumerable amount of encounters that we have, that we have felt, of people not coming through and disappointing us and letting us down and <clears throat> betraying our trust. And in that, it allowed us to become so aware that we are forced to acknowledge what we see. And in that, we have cultivated the ability to see what is genuine, to see what is authentic, to see what is important, to see if somebody cares about us. And so in that, the tragedy is worth it. It's worth the reward of being able to being able to see what's important and to see it in real time and understand it and care about it and accept it and allow it. As I've talked about on this podcast before many, many times, I think that it comes down to allowance. A lot of it does. That in some sense, a lot of people say, I don't deserve love. I don't deserve this. Or they get into a really good relationship and they're like, what did I do to deserve this? Like, you shouldn't deserve good. You shouldn't deserve goodness. You shouldn't deserve to be treated well. It sounds ridiculous when you say it that way. You do deserve to be treated well. You do deserve to be seen. You do deserve to be loved and accepted. But a lot of the times we don't allow it. Because what did I do to deserve it? I have been damaged and damaged and damaged. And it's not like I really changed. So why am I deserving of it now? Why wasn't I deserving of it the first time it happened? It has to be a trick. And we sabotage it. We don't allow it. And, and there's a lot of nuance and complexity that I can go into about that allowance because I think uh, it depends on the situation. It has to be gauged upon what the situation is, how the allowance is interacting with what's happening. Like as I've said in this podcast before about spouses or people falling in love. For, you know, of course, the to say it that way, falling in love, to convey the notion that people understand the, the, the vernacular of our culture. We fall in love. I think you are the love. You are it. You are a part of it. And without you, it is not. It doesn't have the capacity to exist without you. So I think you are love. But for, 
for the culture, the culture's vernacular, I could say, falling in love. You deserve it. We deserve it. But people that are falling in love <clears throat> tend to sabotage it. They don't think they deserve it. And even if they do allow it in the beginning, they get to a point of maybe fear or insecurity or instability that they don't allow it anymore. And one person can't make it work if the other person does not allow it. So I think allowance is very important. It's very important. It's very tragic that life is very, very tragic, and it is also very remarkable. It's very remarkable. In that, the tragedy highlights the tendency to overcome, the tendency to see the beauty deeper, hidden deeper, buried deeper within it, deeper within that tragedy, deeper within that pain. Who you become is buried beneath the tragedy of who you are. That's a good one right there. And it really is. It really is. I am who I am now. Because of who I was. And I could safely bet that anyone that listens to this podcast, that they would agree with that. Who they are now is because of who they were then. It's a pretty simple thing, and yet it rings so true. So it's almost, even though the tragedy of our lives is very tragic, it's worth it. It's worth the tragedy to, like a phoenix, burn up, burn up in the tragedy, burn the ashes in the tragedy of our lives. Only to be reborn as a new character from that. The, the deeper character. The character that can allow it. The character that can see it. That can value it. Accept it. And be present with it. But of course, then we got to go back into lifestyle. Right? And... Lifestyle is a very, very tricky abstract concept because I was very, very consistent with this podcast when I was out on the road, when I was in that lifestyle, and it was a lifestyle. It was. And then I come back, and as soon as I come back, I immediately start getting torn in 50 directions. And, you know, you have responsibilities, and you have your cat, and you have your car, and now you need to maintain it. And, oh, you, you know, you're spending a lot of money, and you got to make money. And now you, you, the way you make money is you got to work somehow. you got to do something. you got to provide a service, and now you're providing that service, and that takes up time. And then you got to sleep, and then you got all this other interpersonal shit. And inter, inter, what is the word? For, like, yourself. You have this interior dimension of turmoil and turbulence to deal with, your emotions, how everything that's going on in this lifestyle is affecting you on an emotional, mental, psychological, and then, of course, subsequently, physiological level. 
And that is a lifestyle. As soon as I came back, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. First of all, one of the things that I said, and I said it on this podcast, right, is there's a there's a unfamiliar familiarity. I wasn't even... It was unfamiliar to be familiar with this area. To be familiar with anything. Because the whole time I was out there, on the road, in the world, nothing was familiar. Everything was brand new. And so there was this feeling of unfamiliar familiarity. And, and it's like as soon as I got back into Ohio, as soon as I was able to recognize the roads and the areas, it was strange. It was difficult right out of the gate. And that reintegration into this lifestyle started right then and there. And then it just snowballed and cascaded until I got into it at this point now. Where, and it's like, of course, I mean, I have an hour. I only have an hour to convey this stuff to you. And of course, for whatever reason, I just went off about tragedy and love and personal sovereignty and all this stuff. And I didn't even want to hit everything. I didn't even get to hit on everything that I wanted to hit on. Which is also a tragedy. It's like, I feel like I have so much that I want to convey. I just want to kind of puke it all out and it's all out there. It's all done. And then I can be, yes, I got it out there. It's good. But I always feel at the end of a podcast that I just need to make another one. I just need to reiterate. I just need to touch back on that a little bit more. Maybe, but it's like, even like I did on this podcast, I touched back on something I talked about in the last podcast, and it almost seemed misrepresented. The way that I was characterizing my, my position that I was talking about in previous podcasts, in previous episodes, that it was misrepresented here. That it wasn't really scraping exactly what it should be scraping. It wasn't conveying enough. It didn't land well. And that's because things change based off the context. It changes, which is a nice reinforcement of what I was saying a little while ago. That there's always a different perspective. You have to gauge these things. We all do. And like the allowance thing, when I was talking about allowing love or allowing anything, it's not even just love that you have to allow. You have to allow anything. Or you tacitly allow things to happen. Even if you don't realize you're doing it. And sometimes you realize you're allowing stuff and then you're like, I need to not allow that. And you start acting in a way that doesn't allow that, which alters the dynamics of the situation. And so everything in some sense that I talk about is based apparently on a very certain set of criteria and variables that are altered based off of the context of what else we're talking about. Because right now I'm talking about tragedy and lessons and lifestyle and very powerful personal experiences that we've all had, that we've all experienced. And even when we feel we wish to convey those things, we can't. Even when we try, if we ever try, and I know it's very seldom that we try, because it falls flat. And people start to just kind of respond to you and, oh, you know, 
They start hitting you with this trite, half-baked, regurgitated crap that you've heard a thousand times. Like, you just got to keep your head up. And it's like, you're not, you're not hearing me. I don't need words. I need to know that I'm being seen. I need to know that you're here with me. That you felt this. That you know what I'm talking about. In some sense, I need to know I'm not alone in this. In this water that I'm discussing with you. And that's what we're trying to do. When we are really trying to communicate this deeply... It is weird, right? It's weird that internally, in your thoughts, in your soul, whatever the whatever the fuck that is, that that water inside of you, it understands it. It understands what needs to be conveyed. It understands what has been felt. What you really wish to convey, but words as soon as you start to put it in words and pack it into words and sentences, it doesn't come out right. It doesn't work. It's almost unarticulatable, the absolute contradictory nature of the tragedy and the pain and the fear and the loss and the love and the joy, all of those fucking incredible human emotions that affect all of us in this human experience, in the human condition. It's all packed together and bundled together in this remarkable display that we can't articulate. And we can't articulate to each other. And oftentimes, when we attempt to, we walk away frustrated because we know it didn't work. We know it didn't work. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's utterly beautiful. All of it. All of it. And I really wish I could have conveyed more. Really. It's just very strange. It's very strange. A lot of the things that I've kind of touched on, actually, <clears throat> this is something that I wrote. It's a very personal thing that I wrote. And I'm not going to give it more context than necessary, personally. But I'm going to read it, and perhaps someone listening will know what I'm talking about and relate to it. And this is it. And it says, I know you saw me in this darkness where all of us luminous beings lie. A darkness so profound it's difficult to see each other, no matter how close we are. But I know you saw me. I could feel your gaze with more than our eyes. You saw me through the darkness, past the difficulty, and for a brief moment in time, we were not alone. You, I know you saw me, and you know I saw you. But the darkness is persistent and relentless. But the image resides within us as a feeling, a knowing that we saw. A knowing that cannot be unknown and will traverse this darkness with us. For as long as we reside within this profound darkness, 
until we see each other again, or only hold it deep within us as a mere acknowledgement of the moment that you saw me and I saw you. And I think that there's something in that. It's very personal where that actually, the genesis of that. <clears throat> but it's there's something in that nature and life is this persistent ocean of darkness that despite our proximity to each other, we can be right in front of each other and not see each other and not be able to touch each other and feel each other. Not for real! Even though we, you know, on the surface, we can. In this oceanic darkness that we call life, it tears us apart like the waves underneath it. It tears us apart and away from each other, even though we didn't want that. Even though we didn't want that. And as we get pulled away, that image is seared within us and something that we hold, the little light that we saw in this vast, incredible darkness, this absolute darkness. It's very beautiful. I think it's very beautiful. And I just really wanted to kind of come back and touch base and <sighs> kind of convey my thoughts, I guess, a little bit, you know. I feel like this one feels, at least to me, maybe because this is another one where I'm not driving, a little less consistent than my other podcasts. I feel like in my other podcasts, I was building to this climactic thing, right? Like I was building this very long forum kind of catalog of my thoughts and my perceptions that built into one solid foundational idea. But the reality is, is that life and, and human beings and in some sense by their nature are contradictory. And as I've mentioned in this podcast, even re-uttering things and reiterating things kind of, it, it almost creates a, a trite sensation about the thing you're saying, about the thing you're repeating. It just doesn't hit as hard the second time or third time or fourth time. But yet again, here we are, and we must continue, and we must move on. And it was wonderful, it was absolutely wonderful to be back talking to you guys. I really, really appreciate you guys, because what's funny is, is that I had five listens on my last uh, update, and I know that wasn't the two people that listened, general, that I know. The two people that know my podcast and listen to it, they've been lacking. They haven't listened to the last at least, I don't know how many, but they've even told me, like, ah, I need to catch up. So the five people that listened to my last one and the 11 people, whoever the fuck is listening to this, fucking love you. Appreciate you. You're not alone. We're here together in the water. Until next time.